Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as political and journo junkie on the huge US 2016 presidential election podcast at G'day Patriots. Comedy rules. Personal views. RT's not endorsements. I have a posse. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's addition to the Humans of Twitter list, CJ Josh. Hello. Hello, CJ. Please, can we start in social settings? How do you introduce yourself? I use my real name in social settings, uh, <laughs> uh, but um, it's quite surprising because I've made so many friends through Twitter. A lot of people do call me CJ now, which is a little bit odd, but um, I'm getting <laughs> kind of used to it. So, uh, yeah. And CJ is a nom de plume. Your, the, your Twitter uh, handle is a nom de plume that's taken from one of your favourite TV shows, I guess. Yes, it's my two favourite characters from the West Wing and I have a ridiculously low Twitter number. Like I'm something like in the 800,000, first 800,000 people to ever be on Twitter. And it was a bit of, will this actually work or, you know, is it going to stay, hang around? Because in those days, you know, lots <laughs> of things were starting up and disappearing quite quickly. And it was like, oh, what should I use? And I was watching an episode of West Wing at the time. So I just um, put that in. But, you know, like how many ever years later, nine years later or whatever, and you, you, you're sort of stuck with it now. It's because she's – CJ Josh has become her own person almost, you know. She's, she's quite different. She's quite different. She's quite different to me um, and in a, in a way she's quite different. But then in the same – at the same time, it's – I still – it's still my personality coming through. I, and I quite like yes. it now. I like the uh, opportunities, the, the anonymity. It gives me choice. Yeah. Is the, the choice for anonymity in the first place or the fact that it continues a necessity or just the way you'd rather it be? It's turned into, I think, I, I think it's turned into a necessity because of my job. Uh, it's a completely mm-hmm. different job to what I had um, when I first started on social media. But I think that until some businesses get a handle on what social media is and how it works and that there are yep. responsible people on social media, you have to deal <laughs> with the company policies and things. And I don't want to be a test case. I don't want yeah. to... Um, <laughs> I, don't think I, I don't think I'm the worst person on Twitter by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't want to be a test case either. So, yeah, I just play it straight. Mm. I can understand that. CJ, please... Uh, what happened to you the last time your heart was broken? Oh, um, I'm I'm a very empathetic person, so my heart tends to be broken on a daily basis. I think, I think, <laughs> I think, I think many things break my heart. If you're talking about a relationship breakup or something like that, that's quite a long, long time ago. Um, things that affect me emotionally now are things that I see more on the news. Um, mm. So some of the asylum seeker stories, uh, 
the, the I think the closest I had I had two friends who flew up to Canberra for that week where it was legal for them to be married, and yep. then they and I was you like best man at that wedding and it was a very low-key one it wasn't one that was um, photographed and publicized everywhere it was very and I knew how important it was to them so it was a great privilege and then they sent me a copy of the letter that they received after the legislation had been overturned saying the uh, Australia you know Australia doesn't recognize your marriage and that was heartbreaking if you know what I mean, yeah. and it was personally devastating for them, but to actually see it in on official letterhead written down that your country doesn't recognise your relationship um, was just devastating. So, yeah, that's probably the last time. That's that's really heartbreaking, CJ. I totally uh, echo that. I have a sister in a similar position who has just proposed to her girlfriend. And I know they are keenly anticipating what may come in the next 100 billion years. Um, yeah, it's yeah. it's outrageous. It's 2016, right? It's just ridiculous. But yes, I, I totally agree. And I don't think that the, – and, so, and the language that goes on around it is really very hurtful to people and yes. I don't think that is actually – acknowledged enough and so when people are talking in an abstract form about plebiscites and legislation and that it is still people's lives I have the same reaction about asylum seekers and about how women are spoken about recently in the media as well so Mm. yeah that's that's how I get my heart broken so regularly (laughs) to (laughs) pay too much attention sometimes Welcome to the Progressive Pain Podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, let's try and think about something, hopefully, something with a lighter edge. What are you passionate about? Um, passionate about people really doing what they want to do. I, I, I really mm-hmm. admire seeing people in their daily roles that uh, love what they're doing. And that can and yes. I'm, and I always remember a guy, we, I was with my husband and we were buying him a suit and the chap who was measuring him up for the suit and talking about the quality of the material and these sorts of things. And I just thought, you love this job. Um, and that's the kind of uh, feeling it would be wonderful if everyone could have about their work, yeah. uh, what, they, what they spend so much of their time doing and so many hours of the day away from the people that they probably want to be spending their time with. Uh, be yes. good if everyone could have that opportunity to do that. So I, I'm very, um, I guess, passionate about helping people find the right type of work that they want to do. So I'm big on networking. Like if I meet someone and they're doing something they're not happy about, but I know someone in that similar field, I'll hook them up and, you know, just just that type of thing, I guess, is what I get thinking. These people need to meet because their combined energies will be fantastic. And so I like to do that sort of thing. It sounds like we need to talk once this podcast is finished. <laughs> Along with... Um... 
well, are you in a, are you in that kind of position? Are you doing you know the thing that fires you up? Not a, not as much as in other roles that I've had. I used yeah. to work in um, I used to work in administration in professional theatre and do a lot of casting and dealing with actors and directors and designers and that was probably the best job I've ever had. But yeah. at the same time, you're doing eight main stage shows a year and there's not really any time for holidays and so after five years of that you can burn out so while it was wonderful um it was also very taxing and it's got a people who do that role generally go for about three years so I think I had five years that was good and then I moved into um another you know I'd like to change things around quite a bit and then I, I went from there basically to journalism so it's uh it, it's it's been it's it's interesting to change around quite a bit I find hmm. and and it helps you I think um not only within yourself go yeah these are things that I'm keen on and passionate about but also allows you to really settle in and go yeah this this is the thing well here's my niche in this spot too doesn't it Yes, and then you start to find the common denominator through the different um, careers that you've had and go, oh, that's been the common theme, you know, and and my common theme is linking people up, I suppose, and and making sure that things come together to have uh, something really good at the end. So now I do more... I guess you could call it um, integrating IT systems in with new ways that people work, but that's still about getting something delivered at the end, but taking everybody along with you and making sure that everything links up and that people are still getting something out of their job when they do that sort of thing. So, yeah, that's the kind of thing I like. Now, you're also, given what you mentioned in your Twitter bio, more than a, a shade interested in politics... Um, particularly US politics. G'day Patriots, a very excellent podcast if people are looking for recommendations of a distinctly wonky fashion, uh, but particularly (laughs) in this case uh, about the American political scene. We, at time of recording, are on the back end. Uh, We've had the RNC, the the DNC, the Democratic National Convention uh, is upon us. What are some of your reflections on... uh, presidential candidate Trump and the sideshow that was the RNC? It was a very poorly produced sideshow too. It was uh, as as, Mm. uh, I I think that the conventions have a number of roles that they have to fulfil and one is the spectacle of it and another is to actually provide primetime entertainment, if you like, to an American audience and explore yes. policies, introduce the candidate to the country, um, show another another aspect of that person or give them a personal point of view, um, re- reflections on, on who Donald Trump really is. And I think it failed on every level, uh, I'd have to say. It was very poorly produced, very um, terrible programming. They had some very, very... It felt very lackadaisical, didn't it? Yeah, C and D grade speakers. Uh, that weren't adding, and it was just a a massive Hillary bashing. And and then it was like going to one of those conferences where they get a motivational speaker to come out and talk to everybody and get the energy pepped up again. And so that was plonked in. Then there were huge passages of where this 
um, quite ordinary 60-40 band kind of played, um, <laughs> played music and it became the, you know, GOP grooving granny section where the camera would <laughs> swish around to try, to try and find these people who were showing an amazing amount of confidence in their dependables and, and having a bit of a bop. Um, oh, so I, I thought it was terrible. Um, but, and I don't think we'd learnt, I, I guess the only insight I got to Donald Trump as a person was from his kids saying, you know, he'd leave them little notes around the place on their um, report cards and things like that. And I thought, well, that's very sweet. That's nice. And that's the kind of thing you want to hear. And, of course, the person who usually performs that role is the wife. And yeah. that became such a controversy because of the plagiarism of her speech. And I thought, well, he's got two others. Why didn't they just get one of them? You know, they should have just got them all out. <laughs> <laughs> and, look, it's highly possible that those notes that the kids got from him may have just actually been from his personal assistant on his uh, personal stationery. Trump letter. Not actually from him. Yes, the yes. thoughts of the Donald. Uh, written on the <laughs> on the headline of the page from yes. the brain of DJT. <laughs> he has a brain. He tells us. He, oh, I, I, yes, I think, he does. I think that it's actually quite worrying uh, uh, the situation that's happening at the moment because he's playing such a different game to what has happened in the past that he may well energise a, a group of people that haven't voted before, and it's going to be hard for the traditional Republicans to come out and the only way to stop him would be to vote for Hillary and I can't imagine them wanting to do that. What what will be interesting is if Bernie Sanders can get his following and his base energised behind yes. Hillary. That, that actually has to happen otherwise Trump's got a good chance of winning, I think. Yeah, you're right. And I think that we will see a tale of two very different conventions uh, in the coming week with the Democrats lining up because we'll we'll see everything that, you know, the Republican convention should have been. We'll see, um, you know, actual calls for unity. We'll see uh, Sanders get up and say that, you know, Hillary is the one that we need to get behind. Uh, we'll hear from, is it Tim Kaine? Tim the, Kaine, the, yeah. Her VP? Yeah, yes, we'll hear he, from him, of him. course, sell the story. Yeah, and... and- I think they're going to have to be very careful that they're not too flashy now, that they don't go... Oh, yeah. You, you know, they're going to have to probably pull it back just a touch from what they might have wanted to do in the first place because it will... Uh, they don't want to look too flashy now. Um, so which Hollywood stars are going to get told that they can no longer speak, yeah. that were planned to speak, given George. that the best that the Republicans could line up was Scott Bayo. Well, they had they did have a couple of daytime soap um, people, which which I think was probably pretty smart given the demographic that they're after. Um, yes. I think George, yeah, we won't hear from George Clooney. I shouldn't imagine. <laughs> I <don't, laughs> or, or maybe George could come out and talk to an empty chair. That would be fun. I remember remember when oh. we thought that was the craziest thing we'd ever seen at a convention, <laughs> and now I pine for imagine? the days of an empty chair. Mm. Can you imagine if we could get a time machine, CJ, and go back to the to the convention? It was four years ago, wasn't it, when Clint had the empty chair, and just sort of run out on stage and go, "People, you have no idea what's coming. 
Yes. Sort your crap out. Yes. <laughs> sort your crap out, exactly. And people thought the Roman, uh, that they had these big Grecian columns and that, and people thought that that was over the top. And then you see Trump's head surrounded by gold lighting and that coming at, out like a 1984 metaphor, not even metaphor, <laughs> what am I talking about? It's just this big talking head over the whole convention. It's like, my people, I'm here to speak to you. I mean, the guy could not stay away. He couldn't, even though the whole thing was about him and the candidate speaks on the last night, he couldn't stop mm. himself. No, he was flying back and forth from Cleveland to, to New York every day to just, like, on the, the, the Wednesday night when Melania was there to, to give her speech, he had to introduce her. Now, yes, that, admittedly, that... it was the shortest speech we ever heard from him, but he had to be there to do it. Like, what? Yeah, that's very unusual, very unusual indeed. And I liked it when Ted Cruz was speaking to his delegates and the oh. Trump plane flew over the top and it was just like this poor guy, <laughs> can't get rid of him. He's just, just everywhere. Yeah. Oh, and controversial enough with Ted Cruz coming out and, and delivering his speech as, you know, one of the candidates that, that missed out, uh, refusing, like not, none of the other candidates, short of Chris Christie, who doesn't count, <laughs> um, got up and said that Trump's the guy, vote for him. And even Christie didn't say that. All no. he did was hold a fake a fake court that, that found Hillary and everyone, guilty. guilty. That was it. Guilty. Lock her up. Lock her up, they were chanting. Oh. And, and it was – and it's that type of um, – the use of those words and, and just a complete disrespect for other people that is so dangerous – it's especially in America. I mean, how there must be enough unhinged people around with access to guns. I mean, something bad. I really felt like something bad was going to happen. Um, I'm glad it did. I'm really glad it didn't, but it's it wasn't good. It's, it's the choice of language that was used at the convention that worries me the most because there are enough people around who are can li- licensed or unlicensed to carry guns, have access to guns, and someone will get hurt. And it's not good. <laughs> No, it's not good, and, and you're right. I think we're staring down some some horrid things to come. Um, I, I I find the entire process it's almost like my crack. I just can't <laughs> stop watching it. It's not because of the candidates, although that has made it insanely entertaining. But the the sheer sideshow nature or circus nature of the entire thing. Like, it's only just now. I mean, we complain about eight weeks, which we've just had. It's only just now. It's July, and the presidential vote is November. So the hardcore campaigning is only just about to start. It's got 107 days to go before the actual election day. And this is when it's – yeah, we're at the pointy end now. But but the nominees – they nominated themselves over a year ago. Both both um, Clinton and Trump said that they were sorry, not nominated themselves. Said that they were standing. Um, so that's been a year at least. Um, yeah, it's a crazy system. How does America do it? How do, uh, how how do they stay engaged? It's no wonder that voting is optional because they would just have so many people not turn up anyway. It's also a worry because there's so much focus on the presidential campaign that it's the midterms and the different levels of government when people are elected that affect everyday Americans' everyday lives. Um, Their school boards, their um, local council, their local district type, 
arrangements and people yes. don't engage in that at all. Uh, they folk, yeah. So they get a, a, you know, a 60% turnout for a presidential election, but some people are elected on a 10% turnout at, in positions which impact on people's lives every day. And I find that is a, a, a worry. And there was, I saw some headline of an article. I didn't even end up read. I didn't read it because the headline. I just answered in my in my head. The headline said, "Was there another way to um, oh, something about? Is there another way to run the primaries so we get the result we want? You know, or whatever." And I'm thinking, "Yeah, have you heard of the preferential mm-hmm. system? You you now have someone <laughs> who, who, despite." getting a lot of first-past-the-post votes wasn't the candidate that most people wanted. Um, yeah. The entire electoral college thing, it just sounds ludicrous to me. Oh, that's a whole other game, yeah. we I haven't started looking into there, – there's a couple of um, states, I think it's Nebraska and Maine or something, that they can split their college votes too. They don't actually have to put them all towards um, – one person. So there's all sorts of different systems all the way through. You've got primary versus caucus. You've then got um, the Republicans have a stage where they tip over. If you get over 15%, you get winner takes all. The Democrats uh, always do a a proportional uh, split of the delegates. Uh, Then you get into this stage of where the electoral college votes matter. So you see people spending half their time in California and Florida and yeah we'll get we'll get into Gosh. that with G'day Patriots and try and explain that to people <laughs> yeah because that it well it's certainly worth subscribing people do it because as you said CJ 107 days to go um gosh I just can't even <laughs> <sighs> let's talk about something sunnier shall we okay what can't you tolerate? Uh, what can't I tolerate? Oh, it depends on the day. Some days, anything. <laughs> I just can't yeah. uh, you know, that there are high levels of stupid around sometimes. Just, just I, I guess people n- not educating themselves, having having very strong opinions on something, but not finding out the details will really. Yeah. Um, drive me spectacularly nuts. But um, uh, look, it's you know the outrage du jour on on Twitter can sometimes be quite annoying, and I'll just drop off it for a a day. Don't bother because that's uh, not much fun. Although I don't see anything too bad. I mean, this is always what amazes me when people talk in generalities about. Twitter, um, and particularly in America at the moment, when they're saying how Donald Trump tweets all the time, and they they dismiss it yes. as a medium of communication, and that is obviously working. You can still choose who you follow, and you can still pretty much sure. control what comes up in your stream. And there are a billion users or something now, and so you, you should be able to find pockets of it that aren't too bad. So, um, yeah, that. That's the kind of thing I guess I don't have a tolerance for. Just imagine if Donald Trump was on Pokemon Go. <laughs> Can you imagine? He would have he would hire people to go out going, gotta get them all, gotta get them all. <laughs> oh, my Pokemon are the best Pokemon, <laughs> Pokemon in the whole country. They're, 
That's right. I'm going to make them advisors. Oh, just don't. They would. The Trumpzilla. (laughs) He would. He would. It's ludicrous. Um, I, no, I, I agree that it can be difficult sometimes with Twitter. It was interesting you say that, that you know that people complain or, or disregard Twitter because Trump uses it and, and tweets a bit. He put out a video, I think it's today, uh, American time, that is uh, like edited, an edit of his, uh, it's like an infographic, but it's a video, you know, that, that his speech went for 75 minutes and that people applauded for 33 minutes. That's, you know, this many percentage time of my speech where oh, people were applauding me. Wow. It's like, what the hell, dude? That's wow. not... That's not what? a measurement. That's not a measurement. <laughs> That's, yeah, he's not real good at all that. It's barely even a thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh... Anyway, we're back in that whole foot. Um, yeah. Are you are, are you doing CJ what uh, CJ of Grade Eleven thought she would be doing? Oh heavens no, <laughs> heavens no. I mean, <laughs> um, no. Uh, I think I'm, I am doing what I want. I guess I wanted to be doing, but not what I thought I would be doing. I, um, you know, my family really didn't there weren't any great expectations uh there you know was probably go and work in a bank my father's theory on that was that if you worked in a bank um there were lots of males that worked in banks and that's why that's that way you would meet a husband um (laughs) (laughs) which he had you know that was kind of a reasonable thing I suppose for him to think and I was just like hell no not doing that um so it took a long time, I guess, for me to feel comfortable and recognise the skills that I did have didn't necessarily fit into conventional jobs and that they were still useful. And particularly with um, social media and computers and that coming up, because I, you know, started working at the time where things were switching over from, if you like, ledger machines to computers. So being... Yeah right at the beginning of that was my skills really did come in very useful. So producing content or um, uh, getting people together around a particular activity and that. I don't think that – I think I was lucky in the sense that my personal skills that I didn't have to develop too much through education were able to play such a a big role in the work I've done. Because uh, I left, yes. I just I left high school. You know, I finished um, matric, as it was called in those days, and like I finished school on Friday and I started working on Monday, and I worked for twenty years before I went to university. It took me a long time to get up the courage to go to university because <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> wasn't seen as a, a um, you, you know something that was necessary in my family. Um, so yep. it took a long time for me to, to get up the nerve to actually go to university and find out that it wasn't this impenetrable fortress um, full of, you know, crazy eggheads. It was actually you just go along <laughs> and you do some work and they give you a piece of paper at the end. It was pretty cool. I was yeah. very excited about going at that age. So, yeah, it was, it, was good. it was a good thing to do. It gave me a lot of confidence and let me... Uh, 
I guess, legitimised a whole lot of things that I had, skills that I had, but legitimised them on a CV for employment. Sure. When you attended lectures, CJ, where did you sit? Uh, because because of how old I was when I went, of course I sat down near the front. Um, <laughs> it was there were two reasons. Number one, I could see the PowerPoint properly, <laughs> <laughs> and number two, you, you could get out faster um, and get to the front of the coffee line. Um, and that was. I think I probably, look, I really was one of those painful mature age students that did go to every lecture and every tutorial because I'd worked full time and I didn't know how not to do things full time. Sure. So I did it full time and uh, I got a lot out of it. But I also really did enjoy um, watching the, if you like, watching the kids and watching the dynamics of the groups and... um, yeah, and then until eventually I, I sort of did make friends with a couple of the not as mature age student as myself but uh, still a little bit older than the kids and that and we'd go and play pool and drink beer uh, occasionally and that was quite good fun. Um, but, yeah, it was funny because I came home and I'd enrolled and I said to my husband, so I'm, go- so I'm going on the O-Week camp and he <laughs> just looked at me like, what? I said, no, I'm kidding. But um, it was just, it was just, it was just a, f- a funny concept to just say I'm not doing this. <laughs> oh, that's so good. <laughs> no, I, yes, I am not surprised that you sat down the front. I, I, I do agree. I think that if I had done uni – um uh, well probably even with a couple a couple of other years or even if I was to go back now I would take it in a much more serious fashion though I think I could still be easily distracted well also it was it cost so much money you know it was yeah. so I think that was the bit of a difference as well the irony being that if I'd actually been able to go to university um when I finished school it would have been free <laughs> I found that quite Surprising. <laughs> mm. You are not that old by a long shot. Uh, <laughs> yes. I mean that sincerely, don't. <laughs> yeah. That's the nice thing about Twitter and things, isn't it? Nobody really knows how old you are, you know. Until now. Until now, yeah. I think if anyone's listening <laughs> to Patriots, they'd work out. <laughs> Thanks, Mr. Whitlam. Yeah. Uh, what one thing would you change about your life today? I would work part-time. I would love mm-hmm. to have the ability to work part-time now because there's so many other interesting things to do. Um, yes. I I would like more time to read and, yes, I think, I think time, just giving myself some more time would be a nice thing to do because I, I – do like to do a lot of different things and I I and I love tell you know how much I love television I mean I actually mm-hmm. am addicted to television and fortunately I can crochet at, um, without watching what I'm doing so I can actually watch TV and crochet so I feel like that's productive time still 
and, um, and um, there's some very good uh, – like television at the moment is just so good. I can remember a few – 10 years ago people were saying, oh, there's, you know, there's no good TV around. It's all going to hell in a handbasket and it's all reality television. And we're seeing some of the best drama um, that's ever existed. Yep. So, yeah, no uh, I, I, yeah, I'd like some time to – watch watch the shows I want to watch and re- I like to I do kind of analyze them a bit I think and maybe it would be interesting to try and write about that that might be interesting um read some more things I love watching documentaries so um and yes. I find myself going down a rabbit hole after a um you know while I'm watching a documentary I'll be on the computer thinking oh I wonder what that is and looking up the next bit to um see where did that lead and what was the background for that and those sorts of things. And I used to read a lot of biographies as well and I tend to do uh, start with one person and then they'd mention certain people through the biography and I'd go and read theirs and I'd end up with this big web of following basically Washington, New York society for a, a while. <laughs> In the 50s I was reading about a whole lot of people through that time and that was very interesting. Wow. So I'd like some more time to do that. It, it, it sounds very engaging. What What is the TV that when you do get to watch it distracts you at the moment? Mm. Uh, at the moment I'm in a phase of thing, just needing to complete some series because I've got I'm like yes. one season behind on The Good Wife. I'm... Um, well, you're not missing anything. Oh, see, I love The Good Wife, I think. But so it wasn't the last season. See it good. through. See it, yeah. I have see to, it through. I'm a completionist, you know. I have to sort of finish that. Um, <laughs> the oh, There's a program that's on Bloomberg, would you believe? Oh, and it's called The Circus, which is about two – it's two journalists who are following all the candidates yep. through the primaries. That's really good. Uh, it's on Showtime as well, and in Australia, it's on Stan. It's on Stan, yeah. I've been watching it on yeah. Stan. Um, so I, I guess I've just a bit more turned towards the news type programs at the moment because of the election and um, doing the podcast. So in uh, in terms of vegging out television, I love British detective, you know, inspector whatever, I don't care. In, <laughs> uh, in, inspector Potato Head I would watch. Um, it, it, I love those uh, British murder mysteries. So, How many murders can really happen in Midsummer? I know. It's, and I'm surprised when people move there. I really am, I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, because none of the core cast are dying. It's only the new people. It's only the new people. And and the other thing is that, that I like to have a guess at how many murders there will be um, before the show starts. I Nice. Yeah. And my average, I, I usually go for four and more often than not, I am pretty much on the money. It depends. The controversy yeah. comes up in our house, between my husband and I as to whether the body that was found in the tunnel that was there 50 years ago, does that count as one of the bodies in this particular show? I say it does. Uh, he says, no, it's not a murder of this particular episode. So, you know, a little bit of controversy there. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. And, and, and an insight into the intellectual conversations which happened in my house. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's good to see the pedantry is alive and well. Absolutely. So what are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? Oh, God. Yeah. Um, 
what am I going to achieve in the next? I'd like to do more in the podcasting space. I really enjoy that. Yeah. I would have to think about an interesting topic um, that would be worth pursuing because it's nice to do that sort of thing for you. It's nice to do it for yourself. And if other people want to listen, that's wonderful. That's that's a yes. bonus. Um, what else is there in the next 12 you months? You just explained the subtext of humans at Twitter. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? I just want to find out about people, so I'm going to make this podcast up. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be nosy. I want to be nosy and way. I want to know. Yeah, I mean, I you know, bathroom cabinets of, uh, of uh, famous people would be one of my favourites I would like to do. That would have to be a television show, though. You'd need to, you know. Yes. And, here, and here we are, you know, we're going into... The Queen's bathroom cabinet. What does she keep in there? Oh, look, you know, a whole lot of purple toner to keep her hair the right colour and, you know, that sort <laughs> of interesting things like that I would like to find out about. Some dog allergy tablets. <laughs> um, just, just horse tranquilizer for when Camilla comes over. <laughs> That's dreadful. What a dreadful thing to say about that dreadful woman. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, yeah, do we get to what you're going to do? Uh, do I have to do something? I, I've, uh, you don't have to. I, you can I, have aspirations. That's as good uh, as anything. Look, you know, today it's I'm just happy in the space and doing things. I, w- I would like to go overseas again in the next 12 months, yes. I would like to go. Um, yes. Now you've got me thinking. I would like to travel um, a bit more but yeah I don't know where's safe to go anymore I'm a uh, I, I, I want to go back to New York I spent uh, three years ago we spent a month in New York and I still didn't yeah. get to see wow. everything it was there was so much to do so I, I would like to go back to New York again and spend some um, time in London so yes that- well, make sure you do the first part of that before January <laughs> yeah it could be a very different place you think I did actually hang oh, on. Here's, well. here's a sad story. Three years ago when we were in um, New York, I did hang around outside Trump Tower for about an hour one day just noodling away on my phone and having a coffee just in case the Donald came out and I could get a sneaky shot um, because I have been following Donald Trump for quite a long time. He He has always kind of threatened to run for president. And then when it comes to the day that you have to put your forms in, he never does it. And I thought this is shift. There's something shifting and I didn't quite know what it was. And I used to use this uh, hashtag on Twitter that was Trump watch. So I'd find find something weird that Donald Trump had done. And I just posted it on Twitter and put the hashtag Trump watch. And it started to, um, uh, other people started sending me bits and pieces and things. And so I've, yes. I've been really watching him for probably about five years now. Um, so this doesn't surprise me what we're seeing at the moment. But in a, in New York, he's so even, – even in New York in a place which has that – the diversity and uh, interesting architecture and all that, he still manages to have Trump Tower, which is just gauche. Um <laughs> Everything yeah. that that he's got, so even the cufflinks and shirts and ties and things that he used to have in Macy's, um, the the main display was just his head. 
in not even a shot where you could sort of see <laughs> the collar and tie and suit and cufflinks, you know, and, and he happened to be the, if you like, model for it. It was just a full close-up of his head covered like the wall behind the display of, of his shirts, his branded shirts, sorry. So, um, yeah, the ego is amazing. See, all roads lead to Trump. I'd like to welcome to the podcast all members of the FBI and remind them that I had nothing to do with Trump Watch. Nothing at all. (laughs) Stalking. (laughs) Well, if that's what you want to call it, CJ, that's really up to you. But I'm staying right out of it. (laughs) Absolutely. He had nothing to do with it. Nothing. Hey, CJ. Yes? Thank you so much for the chance to speak with you today. Please know the things that you said are very special and you are highly valued. Thank you so much. <laughs> what? Thank you very much for asking me. It's um, very flattering and I, I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. No need to laugh about it. Uh, very clearly you are a tweeting person. Are there other social accounts that you would have people want to know about for following or any of those kinds of things? Uh, not that I'd want people to know, apart from the podcast, um, uh, G'day Patriots, available on SoundCloud and iTunes. Um, it, no, because I keep them personal. Yeah. I, I think it, yeah, I've got, I've got, I've got plenty of accounts in different places, but I, I do keep them personal. I, I like Twitter because I've always, I used to use this to describe it to people who, before it became so well known and I'd say it was like going to the pub it was a really your your local hotel but it was a really long bar and if your friend wasn't there at the time his mate was there and you'd still have a drink and a chat um, talk to them and then go off and do something else so it was just like this really large long front bar where there would always be someone that would have something interesting to say or you could talk to them and say, oh, I'm not really getting what the X, Y is about. What do you think? And and have that kind of, um, you know, after work chat. And I still use it like that. I still think it's a great place for that. It's my local. This has been Humans of Twitter. And I can confirm that at CJ Josh is indeed human. Thanks, Steve. <laughs>